This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field, CEO of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, along with my co-host Brent Macy, Managing Director, and welcome to this week's edition of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Good morning, Brent. Good morning, Doug. How are you? I'm good. Hot thunderstorms, weather in Atlanta, but I'm not complaining. Yeah, that's right. You know, it's you know you wait for the rain, and sometimes it just gets really cloudy and no rain. So. Yeah. But uh, weather around here is popping up, just like the industry is popping up. That's right. On, uh, so you're going to watch the big horse race uh, Saturday. Am. That's pretty exciting stuff. Not to take away from healthcare, but pretty exciting stuff. Not, right. Not first time in 36 years, and it's kind of fun to see the non-blue bloods kind of leading the pack. Here. Right. That's right. And I was watching the basketball game in San Antonio. Talk about hot. They didn't have the uh, air, no, conditioning no air conditioning on. <laughs> In the Coliseum, and so the you know saw LeBron go out with cramping, and you know interesting. So I don't think there's a conspiracy theory there or anything, but uh, <laughs> hope they get that fixed. So well, I'm off to Seattle next week, going out to AHIP in uh, Seattle, uh, see what's happening at the epicenter of health plans. Yeah, that's right. What uh, you know, getting a lot of the, the emails from those guys and. You know, health plans part of our audience, and you know, love to see what those guys are doing. I think they're moving and shaking. Um, it's an audience that we're looking to continue to build. So, yep. can't wait to hear the feedback. Well, there's just a lot of innovation going on. You know, we see it at our event in May. You know, we see it every day, kind of come across our desk and be published out across our platforms. Have have it here on our radio programs. We're going to talk about wearables today on one of our segments, and we're going to. <laughs> Take a deep, continued dive into exchanges on this program, and you know I think the the summation of all that is just a lot of good innovation taking place out in the marketplace right now. Right, and I think you know employers were the first ones to move because you know, we always talk about it, employers were the first ones to move just because they they had the pain points they needed to move first. They had the cost rising. Brokers, consultants were moving, you know, because they were trying to figure out where the market was going. Now you got health plans. Financial institutions, third-party administrators, all not necessarily trying to play catch-up, but but really were the last ones to to really move in some instances, and so they're moving pretty quick. Yep. Um, I think you'll see a lot of that at AHIP uh, coming up next week. I think a lot of that's customer-driven too, meaning employers and their members, the employees, uh, you know, driving some of that uh, yeah. change. Yeah. Yeah, and definitely the, you know, we just actually released the May-June issue of uh, Healthcare Consumerism Solutions along with Healthcare Exchange Solutions, which is obviously a supplement inside of Healthcare Consumerism Solutions. And it's it's very relevant to the program we have today, kind of on the cover. Um, if you visit theihcc.com, you can actually go and um, read the magazine there online. We do have uh, hard copies that will be landing on your desk. But uh, the cover says the tech revolution in wellness yep. and ties in very closely to um, what we're going to have on the, the last segment of today's show around wearables that Doug mentioned with uh, the Vitality Group. But the other, the other piece in here, which is specifically in healthcare exchange solutions, really talks about the wellness piece connected to exchanges and the importance of that. So if... If you're looking for a good read and, and trying to understand those connection points, um, check out that issue there. And there's some other things in here that we'll talk about during this first segment uh, for you guys to to kind of get educated on exchanges in the wellness piece. And it is Corporate Wellness Month. It is. <laughs> it is Corporate Wellness Month. No, I think, you know, when it comes to exchanges and health management and wellness, the uh, kind of the, the one single takeaway is that an exchange model – cannot sustain itself without the health management 
you know, wellness piece connected, yeah. you know, and uh, being delivered. Yeah, that's that's right. And I think, you know, the first the first two guests we're going to have on the program today, um, we'll, we'll probably talk to that in some extent. We're going to actually have Mike Smith, who's the director of exchanges uh, for Locked In Benefits Group. He's really going to talk about what are the questions you should be asking when you're you're really analyzing these exchanges and and obviously he'll make a deeper dive into that but if you're an employer out there if you're a broker or a consultant who's trying to figure out where your play is so mike's really going to dive into that and then following mike would is going to be a colleague of his who is uh lissa thompson she's the senior vp and chief consultant at locked in benefits and she's really going to talk directly to a case study that they um, have worked with on with some of their clients um, one specific case study and and how that's moving through the process of implementing that exchange so yeah, it's, it's going to be, be great. pretty interesting pretty, very, very very interesting yeah i listened to i attended a webinar by uh, castside health this week where um, the whole theme was engagement and I, I know that's a hot button that i'm sure our three guests will talk about today i mean that's around wearables it's around exchanges and getting exchanges to work getting wellness to work and i think the single point that was made you know uh in this webinar by uh, an executive from national business group on health is that you know all these tools all these services all these platforms you know nothing works unless you have an engaged population if employees and their families are not engaged they're not going to use the tools that are out there they're not going to use the wearable. They're not going to, you know, be able to have the right exchange experience. So mm-hmm. I think a theme's going to run through today's show. We're going to continue to talk about it, uh, you know, uh, on a daily basis across our platforms. But, it, you know, exchange techniques and dealing with the clutter and getting people educated is uh, real, real critical to uh, success in this marketplace right now. Yeah. And going back to, you know, the issue that just came out, uh, Jonathan Field, who actually – Pulls all this together. Got a great article with uh, Christopher Condolucci, who is the counsel at, at Venable LLP. And the title of that article is, Are You Asking the Right Questions? Mm-hmm. And and that's specifically around the exchanges. Uh, Chris was actually quoted um, in an IRS piece that was um, on some specific regulations and just clarifying some regulations. So he's, he's well-known throughout the industry. But that piece, again, is, is really, are you asking the right questions around these exchanges in terms of legal and compliance issues? And so that's that's a really good read if you're looking to understand the legal compliance issue of these exchanges and and what you might want to analyze as an employer and or broker. Yeah, I think Mike's going to talk a lot about that, too, about the parameters and the key questions to ask and, you know, helping employers and, and those working with them really understand those key questions to ask. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the the lead feature there in, in private health care exchange solutions is the era of – you know, wellness and exchanges or the era of exchanges and where wellness fits in there. So, you know, there was a lot of discussion, you know, early on, was wellness going to get disconnected from an exchange? Um, You know, how was an employer going to really look at that piece? And as we've talked about on the program, it's, it's a gigantic piece. It's, it's going to be there. Um, Employers are going to have to figure out how to, how to make that piece work. Exchanges are going to have to understand, you know, where does that fit in in our model specifically? And I think one of the subheads in the article is uh, don't give up, you know, on wellness in lieu of exchanges. I think that's very well stated. You know, you know it's a very important, you know, piece. 
Yep. And so they, you know, if you if you want to check out the issue, it's on uh, theihcc.com and then click on top tab there. It should say publications and then you can check out the issue. So we do encourage you to do that. Great issue, great content. Um, you know, some good advertisers in there that, that want to be seen and, and utilized by our audience reading the magazine. So check it out. Um, Doug, I know, you know, we've had a lot of good feedback on the certification program and people gobbling this thing up pretty good well i think now's the time and i think uh you know humbly uh uh it's a very solid program you know uh certified in healthcare consumerism uh designation and program to go through and for you know whether you're on the employer side and you're you're in the throes of implementing a healthcare consumerism program, it, it's a good course to take and a good designation to have. If you're on the sell side, whether it's the advisory side as a broker, producer, or consultant, or solution provider, if you really are part of the solution around healthcare consumerism, I think moving into this fall, those credentials on your business card, uh, humbly speaking, are pretty important to have. Right, and it's it's one of those things. I think, you know, with my with my task here at the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, I work with a lot of the solution providers, and there's, it is a very competitive environment out there for them. Yep. Everybody, you know, everybody's trying to 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 understand. You know, employers out there, you're trying to understand all these different solutions, and you know, you want to do business with people that you believe are credible, um, have staying power in this market, and you want to do business with people who you really believe know that they have the solution that's going to help you with your business. And so when, when I'm talking with a lot of the solution providers out there, this certification, you know, is is no easy test. It's it's passable, yeah. but it's not an easy test to, to really show the A to Z of healthcare consumerism. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, what can be expected to be learned during this test. Well, what it's really comprised of is everything that you see at our forums, um, everything that you hear throughout the market. There's questions from experts, but all this information is accessible online. So you can take the test, you know, primarily online, but all the study tools are there for you to take through the website. And, and, and I think, you know, just to kind of reaffirm what you said, I mean, the the foundation of the certification learning is based upon Ron Bachman, chairman of advisory boards, you know, generations of healthcare consumerism. And then adding to this, the compliance, you know, regulatory, how is that changing and impacting, you know, how should, how, what should companies be doing? You know, what are the pieces like exchanges and moving in and what piece are they taking? So, you know, the foundation is based upon, you know, Ron's generation, you know, seven generations of healthcare consumers. Right. And so if you're if you're interested in getting certified, like Doug said, whether you're, you know, an end user of these products, being an employer, broker, consultant, or even a health plan, you know, there's this is valuable for you and especially if you're a solution provider. If you're if you're on a sales team or if you're a chief executive somewhere, um, being certified in healthcare consumerism, you know, is valuable to you as well. It's the big megatrend. How do they find out about it, Brent? Well, you can you actually go to the website, theihcc.com, and then click on uh, IHC University. There's a tab there on the homepage, and you can actually navigate from there. Uh, if you have any questions, you can reach out to Dusty Rhodes. He's our Director of Education and Certification, and his information is there for you to uh, check out. And what are the ways people can uh, take the class? Multiple different ways you can come, you know, you can actually do it live in person at IHC Forum, or you can just choose to take it online. It depends 
however you prefer to learn. If you, if you like to get elbow to elbow with people and, and kind of talk back and forth about, you know, what to expect from the test, to learn from each other, it's best to do it live at the, at the forum. If, you know, time is an issue for you, you, we definitely allow you to take it online. You can, you can access all the resources there on the webpage. And then anyone taking the test, uh, whether it's uh, classroom at IHC Forum West coming up November 10th or online, they can access these course materials as many times as they want to help them pass the test. Right. It's a, it's a one-time fee. Um, you have to, you know, obviously you have to pass the test, and so mm-hmm. there's a there's a pass-fail um, threshold there. But if you say you do not pass the test the first time around, you can go back and study and retake the test, um, one-time fee, so it's not multiple times you know, taking or paying the fee and taking the test. It's yeah, because we want people fee. to learn. We, you know, the, you know, the takeaway is we want you, we want you to learn about and be able to talk to all the different elements of healthcare consumerism. That's right. That's right. And so we encourage you to go check it out. Um, certified in healthcare consumerism, and uh, so that's one of the things that you know you guys can do to to move your career forward. And and so some of the things that. We actually have coming up as well is IHC Forum West. It is um, November 10th through the 12th. Uh, we are pulling the program together. The agenda should be ready probably in the next week or two. Um, still trying to finalize some of the, the general sessions there, but the dates are finalized. It's November 10th through 12th at uh, the, the beautiful uh, Red Rock Casino there in Las Vegas, Nevada. Uh, nice, very nice location. You know, we've been out there. What is this, our third year now yep. uh, out there? Very nice location, very good for events. Um, it's really going to talk about, you know, what just happened in open enrollment. That's going to be one big thing. Let's analyze that. Let's look at it, what worked, what didn't work if you're an employer out there, if you're a solution provider. What, you know, what was the feedback from from the people that you were looking to do business with? They Were they waiting to see, you know, what was coming up for the next plan year? Were they ready to move? What was kind of the mood out there in the market? Um, so, Really good timing um, for that event, and then you're going to be a week after the election. You know, we'll we'll see what happens in this upcoming election cycle, and um, you know that's going to be a big a big thing to look at. You know, if if certain things happen. So everybody, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Hey everybody, Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. And it's that time again, I want to make you aware of IHC Forum West, November 10th through 12th at the Red Rock Casino in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. We do have $99 Super Saver rates now available. Visit our website, theihcc.com to register. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Certification. Do you know why becoming a certified healthcare consumerism specialist is more important than ever in 2014? Adding this specialized designation to your credentials tells employers or your clients that you understand how much our industry has changed and how to navigate that change successfully. IHC University's certification program offers coursework both online and live at their biannual forum conference series, and testing is completed online. Reaffirm your position as a leader in the health and benefit management industry. Download our certification overview and learn more at www.theihcc.com. That's www.theihcc.com. 
This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field along with my co-host Brent Macy, and welcome back to Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Uh, we're pretty pleased today to have a uh, guest joining us from Lockton Benefit Group. We've got Mike Smith, Director of Exchange Solutions. Mike, good morning. Uh, good morning. A, a very topical subject right now. Would you not agree? <laughs> Exchange. Uh, I would, and I think there's uh, there's probably an abundance of uh, of differing opinions and and confusion, and hopefully uh, we can shed a little light on, on some of the things that are developing. Yeah, Mike, talk to us a little bit about it. I think a lot of people know Lockton. You might want to do just a brief background on Lockton, but then talk about your role here uh, and how you're trying to help you know clients and actually your team members help clients move through this decision-making process. Sure. So Lockton is, uh, we're based in Kansas City, Missouri. We're uh, um, the world's largest privately held uh, insurance broker. Uh, where we uh, focus in the areas of uh, generally in property and casualty, as well as employee benefits. Mm-hmm. And uh, the employee benefit group of which uh, I report uh, and I work in, we support our, uh, our field offices as well as our clients in areas around uh, actuarial, compliance, communication, uh, HR outsourcing and technology, and uh, our newest uh, our newest practice that uh, that I had up, which is our, our exchange solutions. And so, um, you know, what we have done is we've done um, you know an examination of the marketplace and kind of returned to our knitting, whereby um, we are uh, putting our clients first. Our strategy is to really um, work with a client to understand you know what their goals and objectives are as it relates to employee benefits. Um, find what barriers may exist to achieving those goals and and take them through that, um, you know, help them uh, examine their options and, and go forward. And so in the area of exchanges, there's obviously a tremendous amount of interest building in the marketplace. And, um, you know, we're, we're using our experience um, in the carrier space, in the benefits administration, outsourcing mm-hmm. space, and the technology space to help client to make recommendations to clients for the right fit solution. Mike, what are some of the key uh, questions that employers should be asking? I think that's where they probably need the most help. They scratch their, they're trying to figure it out, but they, but what are the questions they should be asking? So um, I think some of the before we get to the questions, maybe we should think think about some of the promises that are okay. <laughs> that are being made out there about you know the uh, and and first of all, I guess let's let's define um, kind of the exchange marketplace. Mm-hmm. So for for this conversation, we'll talk about group exchanges, mm-hmm. not the public exchanges or or kind of individual Medicare exchanges. Yeah. Happy to, to talk about those, but as it relates to group private exchanges. You know, folks are talking about the ability to uh, have predictable long-term cost, you know, to shift to a defined contribution model uh, from a defined benefit model along the, along the lines of what we saw in the retirement space. Um, cost savings, particularly through employees actually buying down in coverage, uh, providing a, a broader choice of, of plan options, uh, which leads to higher satisfaction amongst employers. Excuse me, amongst employees, mm-hmm. um, the ability to have an enhanced uh, benefits administration environment, um, or the ability, quite frankly, to, to start to get out of the business of providing benefits uh, to employees. So, as it relates to questions, um, you know, we we kind of think about this uh, holistically in um, in three fundamental areas. 
financial, administrative, and cultural. Mm-hmm. And so when we meet with clients, we actually do a financial analysis, which shows the impact of buy-down, the long-term impact of defined contribution, um, because there is a, a potential there for cost shifting mm-hmm. onto the onto the backs of, of the employee. Now, that may help in terms of um, accelerating their path to, a, to becoming a consumer, but I think an employer has to think long and hard about their total HR strategy around employee benefits and their ability to attract and retain employees. Because, and, it, because it could burst the bubble in some other areas, to your point, right? I mean, it, it's not a panacea. It's not a financial panacea. Uh, absolutely. In and of itself, an exchange or a defined contribution um, will not be the answer. Now, it can, and it will, and it does work for certain clients and in mm-hmm. certain areas, but it needs to be done in conjunction with all the other things that employers are doing to to promote wellness, mm-hmm. uh, to engage with consumers, and, and, and ultimately drive down costs. Mm-hmm. So in the areas of administration, you know, access to technology and, and benefits administration and compliance management, I think that's, that's probably the biggest um, misnomer out there in the marketplace in talking to clients is they think that uh, by virtue of going into an exchange, they can somehow uh, relieve themselves of their compliance uh, responsibilities and obligations, and that, that's not the case. Um, and lastly, it's really cultural. You know, it's do you want to give your employees uh, those those plethora of choices? Do you feel that they can they can handle it? Um, you know, you're you're uh, transferring some control from a kind of a paternalistic corporate-led decision one of an employee-led decision, and I think uh, there's employers are, are definitely on a, on a weighted spectrum of their, their willingness or comfort level to, to kind of move in that direction. Mike, what are going to be, as we look at this fall, um, what do you think may be some surprises uh, around exchanges? And, and let me lead that a little bit, because there's this, you know, two thoughts. One is, yeah, a lot of employers are looking at it. Then the second follow-up is, well, it only fits for, you know, people with a lot of part-time employees, or et cetera. What do you think are going to be some of the surprises that the market may see this fall? Well, um, you know, a lot of exchanges that are being sold uh, in the marketplace today are, are asking their customers for a multi-year commitment, right? Mm-hmm. Yet um, the, the underwriting cycle, is still on a 12-month basis. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the biggest likely surprise uh, would be high renewals. Mm-hmm. And so if you've, if, you've, um, if you've built your business case on a defined contribution model, for instance, and being able to hold your, your cost increases to CPI or some, some lower percentage than certainly medical trend, and your renewal comes in significantly above that, that that's a pretty unpleasant surprise yeah. that an employer may face. So that's why all the other things that that need to take place uh, will need to continue around wellness management, Mm -hmm. uh, health management, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So that's probably the the likely likely surprise for some some clients. Um, We are, another surprise or kind of a building uh, of momentum is really not in the group exchange area, but in the individual area. And mm-hmm. I think you touched base on it, mm-hmm. which are uh, a lot of employers are looking at their n- traditional non-benefits eligible populations right. and providing access 
you know, to the individual exchange marketplace, I think, uh, you know, is definitely generating a lot of a lot of interest and demand in the marketplace. Mike, it, it is is it important that that the right exchange partner be able to help that employer shovel their employees to the right exchange? You know, it, it's been written even in one of our latest outlook that success is going to be those exchanges that can shovel the employees to maybe to the Medicare option if they qualify or maybe to a uh, to public exchange if a subsidy applies mm-hmm. and or the private exchange. What, what are your thoughts? Well, I, I think a good, good example on that is, is in the area of COBRA, right? Mm-hmm. So a good exchange should be um, uh, should offer access as an alternative to COBRA. You know, COBRA does not go away. Right. Back to my comments about uh, compliance will right. remain even inside of an exchange. But, you know, um, as somebody goes out on COBRA, you know, they may not be able to afford the 102% of premium that, uh, that an employer can charge. Uh, likewise, you know, they, they may not have um, as many medical conditions that would rec- necessitate or require that they that they buy COBRA coverage, but they still want, and by virtue of ACA, are required to, to have coverage. Mm-hmm. So providing access to those individual exchanges mm-hmm. as an alternative to COBRA is something that a good exchange should should be offering to their to their customers. Mike, this is Brent, um, and welcome to the program. One of the one of the things that was talked about early on uh, a couple years ago is that were the brokers uh, really going to have a role in these exchange models that we're rolling out? And obviously, we see that they do have a a role in these exchange models. What should an employer? Um, what should they expect from their broker slash consultant who's working with them um, on on looking at these models? Well, I think uh, you know what we. Uh what we've done is kind of uh, remained objective, right? Mm-hmm. So it's hard to um, it's hard to provide uh, advice and counsel uh, to clients if if in fact you know um, what you're going to ultimately end up is recommending your own owned and operated you know product uh, in the exchange space. Mm-hmm. And so that's why a lot of the early kind of exchange models, it's no surprise, came out of those organizations that had large benefits administration businesses. Um, so that's kind of stop number one. You know what we've what we've been doing is we've taken a, a neutral approach to areas like HR technology and benefits administration for years, and so we have access to understanding kind of the the broader model that an employer would would undertake. So the the first thing is you know uh, you know making sure that um, the solution that that is being offered is one that that fits with the client. So we have kind of standard uh, prepackaged solutions, bundled solutions that we can provide access to. But, and I think you're going to talk to Alyssa here in just yeah. a few minutes, um, the majority of our clients are actually looking for us to, you know, to recommend an exchange solution to them that really is customized to their own particular needs. That makes sense. And yeah, we got a, Mike, we got about a minute left. Kind of leave the audience with, you know, one or two good takeaways on, on what they really need to, to look at um, from your opinion on these exchanges. Well, I think first and foremost is uh, really looking at a multi-year projection, uh, particularly if you're, if you're considering defined contribution, um, and then running some models on uh, assumed levels of in, uh, of increased cost because at some point you know an employer is going to um, is going to is going to be faced with either downgrading their plans so that uh, you know 
in some models, they might actually be underneath minimal essential coverage. And at some point, they may hit, you know, affordability under ACA. And again, assuming that everything inside of ACA stands pat. <laughs> so I would, I would spend um, a significant amount of early time really crunching the numbers, um, as well as uh, on, the, on the cultural side to say, you know, uh, is expanded plan choice and an efficient administration, is that something that, that, that we're really looking to, to implement inside of, our, inside of our walls? Well, Mike, we really appreciate having you on the program today. Have a great weekend. And to the rest of our audience, stay tuned for the next segment of Healthcare Consumerism Radio. Thank you. Hi, this is Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. If you're a solution provider in this marketplace, I'd like to talk to you more about our corporate membership program that will allow you to showcase your solutions in front of our audience who will be making decisions on what they're going to be putting in place surrounding their healthcare benefit packages in 2013 and beyond. Contact me at 770-296-7276 to learn more. With all the back and forth in today's politics, It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com Have you checked out the only online guide where employers, health plans, brokers, and consultants can navigate private exchange and defined contribution markets? Browse PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today. The emergence of private health insurance exchanges represents perhaps the most significant shift in how Americans purchase health benefits in years. As employers move their employee population into private exchanges, this trend is on a growth projection into the 2015 benefit year and beyond, according to research published by Allegis Technologies. Visit PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today to browse our national searchable directory and for Healthcare Exchange Solutions magazine and newsletter. Be sure to submit your listing for inclusion in this groundbreaking guide at www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. That's www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Healthcare Consumerism Radio. This is Brent Macy, Managing Director of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism, along with CEO and founder of the Institute, Doug Field. Uh, joining us on the program today is one of Mike's colleagues, uh, Alyssa Thompson. She's the Senior VP and Chief Consultant at Lockton Benefits. Welcome, Alyssa. Good morning. Thank you. Tell us, uh, now we, we just had a conversation with Mike around some of the, the things that employers need to be looking around at around exchanges. Kind of give us you know, your brief background there at Lockton and uh, tell us a little bit more about the industry and kind of where you see the exchange market right now. Okay, great. Um, well, as you'd, as you'd introduced, I'm the chief consultant for the benefits group at Lockton and uh, my chief role is to uh, lead and help develop our resources with innovative solutions, make sure that those are, uh, are made accessible to our, our client consulting teams. Um, my background uh, actually started out in the math and the actuarial side, but I've been doing consulting for uh, for almost 30 years. Um, my view of exchanges as as they exist in today's market, and I think that we'll see a lot of development over the next few years, is that um, exchanges work in, in certain circumstances, but the most critical items that you need to do is develop the need, develop the issue, develop mm-hmm. what you're trying to solve for, and make sure that the solution meets all of those needs. Uh, Lissa, uh, this is Doug, and welcome to the program. Uh, Thank you. 
tell us a little bit about the specific uh, client that you want to talk about today. You know who they, you know who they are, the industry, and you know kind of some issues that you were trying to help them uh, solve. Great. Okay. Um, well, in 2013, Lockton developed uh, a very specific private exchange exchange for an industry. Uh, one of our clients, Entertainment Partners, uh, had been a client for some 10 or 11 years. Um, realized that the entertainment industry, of which they are a payroller, they're one of the, the largest uh, depositors of W-2 information to the United States government. They handle a lot of, of uh, both union and non-union members from a payrolling perspective in the entertainment industry. Mm-hmm. They realized that the Affordable Care Act, or ACA, was going to have a tremendous impact on the entertainment industry. So. To, to tell you a little bit about why they needed an exchange in the industry and why uh, our client felt that, uh, that a private exchange would be the uh, optimal solution, if you think of ACA and the requirement that, uh, that you are required as an employer to cover 95%, now, of course, that's been pushed to 70% for one year, you're required to pro- provide coverage um, to 95% of your population. Um, and that must be qualified and affordable. And you look at the entertainment industry, and I'll give you an example of a multimedia entertainment client. They mm-hmm. might uh, handle theme parts, parks, magazines, mm-hmm. and productions. And when I say productions, it could be feature films, it could be documentaries, it mm-hmm. could be TV shows, it could be reality shows, it could be all sorts of different kinds of productions. They have different staff needs uh, across their industry. So what they dis- what they distribute for benefits for a theme park or a magazine is going to be very different than production. In production, you have two kinds of workers, union and non-union. About 75%, give or take, of the market is unionized, of, of those production workers are unionized. So if you think of the, uh, the directors and actors, the uh, screen actors, um, the, the writers, um, they all are part of uh, unions, but there is about 25% of the production market that is non-unionized and had never had benefits. Hmm. So if you think of this multimedia industry, that non-union production workforce uh, in almost all circumstances will make up more than that 5% that the government allowed you as, as sort of a buffer from an ACA eligibility perspective. So they had to go through and say, how am I going to provide benefits for this workforce right. that I've never provided benefits for? And that's pretty much industry-wide that the non-union workforce had not had benefits. And the, you also have to consider that this workforce is highly migrant. I will work on one show for three, four months, and then I go to another show. And uh, the successful people in the entertainment industry continually work one production after another. <laughs> so... Um, the management of that workforce and the development of whether or not they're eligible for coverage became a, a problem. And then how do I provide meaningful benefits for these people when they're literally transitioning from uh, multimedia company A to uh, production company B to feature film or, or reality TV? And we may have people who go among seven shows, some of which uh, the shows are owned by the same multimedia company, Sometimes there are seven different ones. So it's a very, very unique issue in this industry. 
Um, in early 2013, the CEO of our client, Entertainment Partners, contacted us, and they said, you know, what can we do? Hmm. We recognized that there were some things that we needed to solve for. We needed to provide some workforce management, some eligibility management. We needed to have a platform that was easy to onboard and offboard as production companies started up for a feature film and then closed down for a feature film. Hmm. It had to be a process that was fairly simple. And we needed to have coverages or products or benefits for the workers that could transition through the lifetime of their year of multiple productions. So we very quickly realized that uh, a marketplace for the industry was the best solution. Provide something so that when you have a production that's given a budget, which will include ACA exposure or requirements for benefits, that you have something that you can plug into. Mm. It gets up very quickly, understands the needs of the movement of the workforce, and provides benefits that they literally can take from one company to the next because they're the same benefits and the contributions required for the employees are the same. So if I leave company A, I may be out of work for two weeks, I'll pay for that directly. But then when I start to work for, for uh, company F, I, I continue the same benefits. If I've met my deductible, I've met my deductible with company F. So we have the seamless transition of benefit platform for the entire industry. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Now, now did entertainment partners offer health care benefits before? Or is this a new... Uh, not, no, they, they did not. They had never been asked by the entertainment industry to okay. provide benefits. It's a tough nut to crack. Yeah. There's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of administration, a lot of processes, and a lot of compliance and underwriting that you have to do in the background. So there really had never been a need pre-ACA. But the marketplace, it also gave them this opportunity to execute this model for their clients. It did, and and when you when you think about the industry, um, uh, this was um, I, I'll use the word virgin population. They they really had never had pop, had benefits, so we really didn't know uh, much about uh, their utilization patterns other than through the demographic risk, which we of course could measure. Um, so uh, having carriers come to the table for this was not. Uh, it wasn't a one, two, three. There, there was a lot of um, a lot of development in that process. That sounds like it. Now, now, who was your exchange partner in this endeavor? We actually developed the exchange. Okay. Um, Lockton was the principal architect. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, we got a lot of insight uh, from our client entertainment partners relative to the needs and the process development, but we hand selected uh, benefits administration system decision support direct pay advocates, um, call center uh, services, mm-hmm. communications. It was all custom developed because it was such a, uh, a unique uh, need. We did look at already established uh, exchanges, mm-hmm. um, some of, some of uh, the better known exchanges. But once again, um, it, it would have been very clunky because you have to, you have, to do, have a very facile Onboarding, because when you get a green light for a production, you've got to be ready. Now, you can't have a lot of uh, transition. You have to have a process that's that's built for for uploading their eligibility and getting them moving. Now, listen, when when you got this up and moving, what was the feedback from 
from, you know, one, the employees, but also the associated businesses underneath this group? Great question. Um, well, had we not had pushback on ACA on July 2nd, 2013, and then again in February, <laughs> of course, the more that the, the government changes the rules, the more the perception or the need is deferred. Right. Um, had we not had the deferral on, ju- on July 2nd of last year, um, every one of the entertainment industries would have had to have a solution by January 1, 2014. And mm-hmm. we were up and ready, by the way, by, the, by January 2014. We were enrolling people last November. Um, but uh, it, it pushed the need. So right now uh, we have some big names as clients. Uh, I haven't asked for their permission to, to name right. them, so I, I will refrain from doing so. Um, but uh, we, we have a lot of proposals. Um, the, the clients that will have to comply in 2015, those who, who will have an issue with the 70%, mm-hmm. um, and also those uh, companies that realize that to compete now in the industry, they have to offer benefits mm-hmm. um, because the, the, uh, the specialty production companies will be offering benefits. Um, so we're going to see a huge uptake in January 2015, barring any additional uh, delays by the government. Alyssa, if you, you know, what kind of advice would you give, you know, an employer out there or, or you know, an affinity group who's looking to maybe, you know, put this in play, private exchange? Well, I, you know, I think that private exchanges, especially customized private exchanges, are, are a very effective tools. You have to understand what it is you're trying to solve for. Mm-hmm. Is it cost? Is it outsourcing? Do you need flexibility? Do you need multiple funding methods? Do you need multiple carriers? What what is the what is it that you're trying to solve for? Is it some sort of a transition period? Um, we're doing private exchange, customized private exchanges right now for a number of private equity companies. Mm. We also have a, a large union that is looking to expand a private exchange for non-union clients. Um, so it depends upon the need. Um, I would look very carefully at the commitment that you wanted to make. Some of the established uh, exchanges may be good solutions, but, but you have... Um, commitments and obligations. Um, you need to look at, you know, carrier commitments, carrier obligations as well. Um, there's a lot to be developed in uh, in exchanges over the next few years, and I, I think that they 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 definitely have a good uh, a good run and a good uh, good opportunity to uh, to bring solutions to a lot of employers. I like Mike uh, believe that customized exchanges. Um, at least in the initial uh, phases, um, maybe to the better benefit. And one of the, and, and we kind of echo that, you know, we actually built um, privatehealthcareexchanges.com and are updating that with all the di- all the different exchanges that roll out. It seems like there's five a day that, you know, roll out to the marketplace. So it's it's a fast-moving market. So we echo all that um, all that you said. And we really appreciate you joining us on the program today, Alyssa. Um, have a great weekend. And to the rest of our audience, stay tuned for Healthcare Consumers and Radio. Thank you very much. Solution providers, are you aware of the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism's multiple marketing platforms? You're invited to get a little closer to IHC with our Solution Provider Membership Marketing Program. Through IHC's exclusive Solution Provider Membership, your business gets an all-access pass to engaging your prospects. This membership embeds your business within the Institute, 
which immediately aligns your company, its solutions, and your key executives with the nationally credible IHC brand and shows your support of the healthcare consumerism movement as a market-wide solution. And that's just the beginning. Contact IHC's Managing Director Brent Macy today at bmacy at the IHCC.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Hey, everybody. Brent Macy, Managing Director for the Institute for Healthcare Consumerism. And it's that time again. I want to make you aware of IHC Forum West, November 10th through 12th at the Red Rock Casino in beautiful Las Vegas, Nevada. We do have $99 Super Saver rates now available. Visit our website, theihcc.com, to register. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Hey, this is Doug Field, uh, along with my co-host Brent Macy, and welcome back to the final segment, Healthcare Consumerism Radio, and um, joining us uh, to talk about really a, uh, wearables and, you know, the, does wearables really impact health and productivity in an organization uh, is Dr. Jonathan Dugas, Director of Clinical Development for the Vitality Group out of Chicago. Jonathan, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing today? We're doing great. Great to have you on the program. appreciate you taking the time. No, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Hey, uh, Doctor, can you uh, give our audience a little bit of background on the Vitality Group? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> we're a, uh, a health promotion program, and um, we really focus on helping individuals uh, learn more about their health and health risk. And uh, we provide a lot of activities um, and programs to help them actually improve in the areas that they need uh, work on. And uh, in so doing so and, and engaging in those healthy activities, we actually then um, reward them for uh, demonstrating that they're uh, doing those healthy behaviors. Great. Uh Jonathan, there's a lot of talk. Uh, in fact, on our first segment, if you were joining us, News of Views, we talked about our, our current issue being out where we talk about technology and specifically uh, wearables and, and fitness devices. And, and you have just completed three years of study on the impact of wearables, correct? Yes, we did. That's right. Yeah. Can you talk about that and kind of some of the results, what you, know, what you discovered? Yeah, absolutely. So, um but wearable devices are a, are, a, are a key kind of component um, to individuals who are engaging in the Vitality program. Um, and they use them for, for, a number of, for a number of reasons, mostly to verify and track their, their physical activity. Mm-hmm. So we really wanted to understand um, a lot more and, and get a deeper understanding of how individuals are engaging with these devices. So that was the real aim that we went into it with and trying to say, well, we, we've got a lot of rich data here on, on how individuals are using these things. Um, let's kind of break it down a few different ways and, and try to understand better who's using them uh, and how they're using them and to what extent. And so, so what, Jonathan, so what were some of the things? I mean, you, you got, you know, engagement's a big word out there. So what, what were you finding? Were these individuals, were half of them using it, were a fraction of them using it, what was the finding? Yeah, what, what we found was that um, across, the, across the age groups, you actually get um, very good uh, uptake. And I think that was very interesting for us because um, 
you know, in our in our kind of age of technology, we <clears throat> we tend to think that, or we oftentimes work on the assumption that, you know, as one as the older generation takes up the technology less, and of course we think it's it's the younger generation who's more in tune with those things. But we actually had um, very good penetration of devices, um, you know, pretty much across the age spectrum, uh, all the way up to the kind of 55 to 60, 64 year old age group, um, which was very encouraging to us because. Uh, you know, the, the devices really don't discriminate by age, and, and they can be useful no matter how old you are uh, or if you're male uh, or female. Mm-hmm. And uh, we found that uh, w- women had a slightly higher uptake of the devices, but r- really it was split very closely down the middle between men and women as well. Now, let's, um, you know, what are, when you say devices, can you define that for our listeners? What, you know, what type of devices are we talking about from... You know, just a, it is a wearable, but, you know, are there multiple different devices? Sure, yeah, there, there are. Um, particularly um, for Vitality, I mean, we, we can really integrate with and accept a number of, of different kinds of devices, and these include mostly uh, pedometer and activity trackers. And, uh, you know, it's, I think it's an important note on, on those devices in particular that although those devices... Um, quantify steps, really those are, uh, those are becoming more and more activity trackers first that just translates your activity into steps, which is a very easy way for people to, to understand their activity levels. No. Probably five years ago, you had more, it was really just counting steps and, and not a lot else, but you know, the ones now you, you can kind of wear and pretty much do any kind of activity, and, and it'll kind of accurately quantify how much you're doing and just put that into a step value. Now, Dr. Yeah, the other devices are um, heart rate monitors, okay. uh, which is, of course, you kind of put a put a sort of elastic strap um, that has some electrodes on it around your, your chest, and that actually measures the electrical activity of your heart, and then tells you on your watch uh, what your heart rate actually is at any given time. And then the other kind of primary device that um, individuals use in Vitality is uh, smartphone apps. Okay. Um, so that would be apps where they can actually, uh, the, the, the app uses the GPS location services of the phone and actually then measures the location and then gets speed and distance and uh, energy expenditure from that. And uh, we can consume that information and make sense of it and uh, evaluate accordingly. Any, any one more popular than the other among, you know, the, the population that you survey? Yeah, the, um, particularly uh, the activity trackers and pedometers, mm-hmm. and um, you know the, these are these are things like uh, your Fitbits, those, those devices, and mm-hmm. a lot of these companies have uh, multiple products. Uh, they all again pretty much do the same thing. There's just different amounts of bells and whistles for each of their own product, but uh, we've actually seen uh, quite a dramatic uptake of these devices uh, in 2012 and 2013, and uh, the way it's going, I think we we fully anticipate that that will that uptake will continue to rise uh, in 2014. Now when you doctor when you look at um, you know the employers that you guys work with or the health plans that you may work with, you know, specifically on the wellness side of things, what is the impact that these devices have on the bottom line of an employer's health and wellness program? That's a, that's a great question. Um, it, it it is a it is a complicated one. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's there's a risk of oversimplification here, but at that risk, I'm going to go ahead and answer the, answer the question for you, but um, I think what we have to make sure we understand is that it's not necessarily the, the device that's making that impact. It's, 
really the physical activity and the increases in physical activity mm-hmm. that are having the impact on health and therefore on the healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. And these devices uh, really can play a very central, important role in helping people become more active, and that can actually be people who are sedentary and doing nothing now. It, it, they can really be crucial in helping those people get moving even at low levels. Mm-hmm. And people who might be somewhat active now but maybe aren't quite meeting the guidelines, mm-hmm. they can actually really be very helpful in helping them increase their activity levels up mm-hmm. to the level that's recommended. And at that recommended level of 150 minutes a week of moderate to vigorous activity, that's where the quote-unquote substantial health benefit lies. Uh, So these devices can can really be crucial in helping people get to uh, those levels. And once you start getting to that level, that's where you start to see much more broader improvement in health, and that then cascades down to uh, the uh, improvement in the health care costs. Now, 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 Jonathan, I'm assuming these are all tied back to incentive programs as well, right? Uh, I'm just sorry. Uh, can you repeat that, please? Are 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 they tied into incentive programs? The you know the the um, in a uh, in an indirect way, yes. Okay. So, for example, uh, individuals in vitality can do a lot of activities um, online, otherwise things, and they can earn points for doing that. Being active is something they can do to earn points mm-hmm. uh, and help kind of be rewarded and improve their status in the vitality program. So in, in, in that way, they are tied to the incentives in that um, the individual can obviously, if they demonstrate physical activity throughout a program year, then that's going to go a long way towards actually increasing their standing in the, in the program and elevating that. And that is what's oftentimes linked to broader incentives uh, in our clients. Okay. Now, Dr., you talk about the in, with the incentive piece. Are there other other ways to get um, the employee population or the member population engaged, um, you know, in the in these type of devices? Is there, there are other things that you guys try to do as well? Yeah, um, specifically, they're not things that, um, that we drive directly, um, but some of our clients um, will take the initiative themselves, which, which is great to see. And these are things um, like choosing to subsidize or give their employees devices. And obviously, this is a this is a very client-specific initiative. Some clients can afford to do that, some can't. Um, but the, 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 I think we have to understand there are some barriers to the uptake of these devices. Sometimes that might be cost. Sometimes it might be uh, just a phobia of technology or something like that. But anything that we can do as a health promotion program or as an employer can do to help lower those barriers uh, and get the device in the individual's hands is a good thing because I think typically once you get it in someone's hands and they see how easy these things are to use and actually, quite frankly, how fun they are, um, then it's kind of fine. You know, as long as they remember to charge it up and replace the battery, um, then it's kind of a for away, and and they use them, and and they actually become regular users of those devices. Now, did you, um, with the study or or just with your own personal knowledge, where do you you see the device, um, health device industry moving? You've heard words on Apple, you know, getting into this space um, with some technology. Where where do you kind of see that 
this market from a device standpoint moving? Well, there, you know, the devices are, are pretty ubiquitous now. Um, I can't see how that is going to change in the short or medium term. Um, I think the devices will continue to improve, uh, and by that I mean they will be more accurate and more reliable in general. Mm-hmm. I think we'll see, and we're already starting to see in some manufacturers, battery life improve greatly, which Again, you think about the hurdles to using these things and perhaps having to charge it or replace a battery every now and then is a little bit of a hurdle. Mm-hmm. And uh, once these manufacturers can get to the point where batteries can last a year or more, um, then it really, really makes it that much easier to, to wear these things. Um, they're going to continue to evolve uh, in, in terms of how easy they are to wear them. Uh, there are lots of wristband ones that are coming out now, and uh, I suspect that somewhere, someplace in one of these manufacturers, they're uh, trying to cook up in a sort of even more convenient way to uh, to wear a device that's sort of non-invasive and uh, and still very accurate. So um, you know, in, in my opinion, the, the device industry is is really plowing a lot of, of effort, time, and energy into trying to innovate these things. And um, I think it might feel like they're fairly advanced already, which which they are. But uh, I think we have to understand that um, the experts behind this are are probably going to come out with some big innovations in the next few years. Yeah. Well, Dr. Let us, we got about a minute left. Um, let our listeners know where they can find the study that you guys did and, um, you know, leave them with one, one really good takeaway on, on what they need to, you know, look at when they're looking at devices and, and an overall wellness program. Yeah, the um, listeners can actually go to thevitalitygroup.com and they can actually download uh, this study on our website there. And, uh, I think as, as a takeaway from the, the kind of wearable devices, um, probably a big thing for me is uh, th- these are, are really things that can add value um, to participation in health promotion. Uh, they, they can really have an important role in, in helping individuals increase their activity levels, um, w- which is uh, going to improve health. And uh, they can actually be a lot of fun along the way. Uh, they don't feel like a chore. And uh, they can be really fun ways to engage with friends who also have these devices. Uh, and that, of course, brings in a social component, which uh, also keeps, uh, keeps the fun up as well. Well, Jonathan, listen, uh, uh, we enjoyed having you on the program. And, uh, hey, best of luck to you uh, this year on completing your first uh, Ironman. Thanks very much. That'll be a little bit later this year. So, uh, thanks, <laughs> okay, thanks have for the a, uh, on that. I'll need everything I can get. There you go. Have a great weekend. To the rest of our audience, uh, you have a great weekend as well, and we'll see you next week on Healthcare Consumerism Radio. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.